0: Hey friends, do you know what it means to bring the gospel to bear on your entire life? Our guest today says that God desires your flourishing and shares how to jump in with both feet. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 334, Dr. Amy Sherman and the God of Shalom and Flourishing. All right, well, hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. As always, I'm deeply grateful that you have downloaded. If you haven't seen the latest stats, I saw one stat last week. that was something like 4 million podcasts and you're listening to halfway there. That means a lot to me. Thank you for doing it. If you would do me one favor, just tell a friend. I know that this conversation is going to be one that will resonate with you. Just tell a friend, Hey, you should listen to this. Send them a text, grab in the Overcast app. You can actually grab clips where you can send them just a clip that there's part that you really love. That'd be awesome. It means the world to me. And I really appreciate it when you do that. If you're interested in supporting the show in a financial way, I know not everybody can do that, but some of you are interested in just throwing a little bit our way to help keep it running. I appreciate all of you who do. Go to com. You can hit that Patreon button, and that's where you can uh do that. I'm working on getting some stickers for that. I think it'll be kind of fun. In case you're interested in a halfway there sticker. Anyway, that's uh well, I'll tell you more about that when that comes out. All right, friends, let's get into our conversation straight into it today. Um, I'm really excited to have this conversation because um, I what caught my eye was our uh, guest's latest book. She's author of seven books. The, the latest is Agents of Flourishing, Pursuing Shalom in Every Corner of Society. A couple of ideas there I'm really excited about. Our guest is the center on, she's the director of the Center. On Faith in Communities at the Sagamore Institute, Dr. Amy Sherman. Amy, welcome to Halfway There.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I really appreciate you uh, being here, and uh, I want to know a lot more, obviously, broad strokes to say you're a director at the Center of Faith and Communities and an author. So give me a little more about what those two things mean, and then a little more about you and where God has you right now.
1: Yeah, well, I always struggle when I'm on the airplane and you get that question with your seatmate, you know, <laughs> what do you do? It's a little confusing. I sometimes just say, oh, I'm a writer. Um, and uh, But often what I'll do is describe myself as a minister to ministries. Um, so at the Center on mm. Faith and Communities, what we're interested in doing is coming alongside of churches and Nonprofit organizations that are seeking the flourishing of their communities. Uh, and we just try to encourage them, equip them. Um, sometimes that looks like uh, showcasing their work, uh, you know, writing an article about them. Sometimes that looks like coming on, on site and doing some consulting. Uh, or sometimes it looks like writing a training manual for a, for a group or Helping a group that wants to replicate their work, um, and so writing sort of a "here's how do you do this model" type, of, you know, of a guidebook. Sometimes it involves uh, evaluating what the group is doing and then uh, writing up a an assessment of where they're strong and where they can, uh, you know, use some improvement. So, very much in the capacity building uh, space, and that's been a great pleasure and joy because it has put me on. The front lines of where God is at work uh, around the world. I get to actually go uh, on site and see the good work that various ministries and congregations uh, are doing in their communities, and and learn from that, and um, you know celebrate what the Lord has uh, been doing through them. And so, there's a lot of encouragement basically that I that I get uh, you know, in the course of my, in the course of my work.
0: Yeah. Sounds like uh, a really encouraging, um, a place to to be and you get to kind of help a whole bunch of different people, which is great. Uh, I'm interested. So what, what caught my eye, and we're going to talk about this more later, but I want to just at least start here, uh, was this book agents of flourishing pursuing shalom in every corner of society. Sounds like that's part of your work, but to give us kind of the the gist of what your argument is in that book and where you know what you're hoping people will get from it. Yeah.
1: The book really comes out of uh Jeremiah 29, 7 about seeking the peace and prosperity of the community. Um, and it it is a how-to book, but but not in the sense of here's you know 15 steps, one, two, three, four, five. It's it's uh it's a little. Deeper and a little more, a little more meaty and challenging than that. Um, but basically, what it does is lay out an argument that, um, in order for a community to really flourish, uh, it needs to be strong in six different arenas of life, uh, or six different uh, spheres of society. That the Thriving Cities Group have called the six community endowments, and they are the good. Uh, the realm of social mores and ethics, the true, the realm of human knowledge and learning, the beautiful, the realm of aesthetics and art and creativity and design, uh, the realm uh, called the just and well-ordered, which is the sort of civic life of the community, the prosperous, the economic life of the community and the sustainable, the, the realm of human and Uh, natural uh, health. And then uh, having sort of set up that framework, um, I spend time asking questions like, what is God's creational purpose for each of these realms? What does shalom look like in each of these realms? Where has the fall uh, malformed uh, life in these different realms? And what can be done uh, to push against that and to bring about renewal Uh, and restoration. And there's a lot of stories, both from church history, about the ways Mm. that Christians in in days gone by uh, have contributed to strengthening those realms. And then there are a number of sort of mini case studies of um, contemporary congregations that are involved in pursuing uh, programs and strategies to strengthen one or more of those realms in their particular uh locales
0: wow i love that so much there uh, i love the idea of bringing in church history i'm not convinced that most american evangelicals are aware of how deep church tradition goes right for us particularly in realms like helping the community and you know
1: yeah, yeah those I, kinds think, of things. I mean a lot of the different parts of the book were fun to work on um But certainly working on the church history part was was very fun. Uh, And it was very illuminating because I learned things I'd never known before. So I didn't know, for example, that the the guy that basically invented the idea of a credit union. Well, that was like a devout French Catholic guy. Um, The the whole system of Western music uh, in terms of music actually being notated down. Uh, on paper, uh, you know, a way to communicate, uh, you know, this ethereal sound and and put it into concrete form in in musical notation. Again, that was a that was a believer, a guy named Guido, who was a monk somewhere in the Middle Ages, <laughs> uh, you know, who who did that. And uh, and fun stories about medieval Christians who. Uh, really cared about creation and were doing what today we would call you know green farming. Um and and really very uh inspiring stories of the black church in America and the ways that it has done so much in the mm-hmm. economic realm and uh really you know starting banks and um you know encouraging entrepreneurship and um it just, just fascinating, fascinating story. So, I did enjoy the the history part quite
0: a bit. I love that. All right, friends. So, here we'll talk more about this in a little bit. I want to turn to your story in just a second, but here's part of the moral of the story that I hope that you get from from this. Whatever your particular thing is, whatever whatever your interest is, you think about all these things from banking to gardening. Right, you can bring the gospel to bear on it right? You can. And that is actually good for people. So uh, I hope that we talk a little more about that. And I'm sure we'll come back to it. But I want to hear about your story because my guess is you didn't get to writing a book talking about shalom and flourishing uh, from nowhere. That that probably grew out of some of your own experiences and your own life with God. So I want to hear about that. So I don't even know where you're from. Where Where did you grow up?
1: Grew up, uh in a town called hamburg new york outside of buffalo
0: okay never oh, want to right. see another it,
1: snowflake again uh, <laughs> where are you now well i'm in charlottesville virginia and so far the winter has been very cooperative we've had no snow um but we'll see if we make it through the the rest of the winter here
0: yeah that's nice wow that's funny um Okay so no I don't think of uh Buffalo or that area being the northeast being very uh religious but so what was it a christian home or what was that like for you Well I
1: grew up in a what I now realize was a pretty liberal methodist church and at the time of course you know as a middle school high school student I didn't really realize that um I just had a nice church youth group that I was part of and enjoyed that and um certainly it was a place where i heard a lot about the social gospel and i'm deeply mm. deeply grateful for that and in fact um sometimes when people ask me you know kind of how did you first really get interested in um ministries to the poor or ministries of mercy and and justice why are you so interested um in those those topics i i really uh, see the root of that as some summertime trips that I made with my Methodist youth group uh, to rural Appalachia, where we would go and um, come alongside families uh, living in, um, you know, very uh, mean conditions, you know, and we were we were putting roofs on people's homes and we were building, uh, you know, handicap, handicap accessible Ramps up to their, you know, small uh, cottages, and um, and it was really a time I did not grow up in a wealthy family, um, but I also didn't grow up in a in a poor family, um, and so as a young person, seeing folks that didn't have running water, uh, mm. seeing folks that were living in homes largely made out of tar paper. These were really profound experiences for me, and from a very young age, I had this sense of somehow your life is going to involve this kind of stuff. Like God really cares about the poor, He really cares about justice. He wants His people to be uh, involved. Um, so I really, I really am grateful for that. For that church, I would not say that I really heard the good news of. Uh, kind of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ um, until I was a little bit older. uh, And after I came to Christ, um, I had the great opportunity of being discipled uh, by a young family uh, who kind of lived in the next town over. And they were actually part of a rather large, um, non-denominational charismatic church. Uh, wow. And from my little uh, Methodist church that you know the service was exactly 60 minutes long and the 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 organist was amazingly talented uh, and the choir wore robes uh, to this you know two and a half hour, three hour long, you know, what is all this crazy <laughs> stuff going on around me kind of service was rather um, startling um but that young couple really cared for me and discipled me and really taught me about what it means to you know have a very personal walk with Jesus and to be talking with Jesus on a regular basis asking the lord for his mm-hmm. his help and his provision and and his guidance you know a- along the way and really it was through largely through their influence that i decided i would go to a christian college so I ended up at Messiah College in uh, Grantham, Pennsylvania, and so thankful that I did. Um, that was the place where my faith further grew, and in particular, um, the whole notion of cultivating a Christian worldview—that was very new. So um, mm. I soaked up all of that uh, in in college. You know, I was probably one of the few kids that were there at the time who, you know, didn't know who Francis Schaeffer was and didn't know who C.S. Lewis was, and you know that just hadn't been my 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 background. And so this idea of Christ preeminent over all and Christ's involvement in in every sphere of society um, that was that was very um, life-giving. And as a person who liked school and you know, liked writing papers, liked thinking about stuff, um, to realize that my faith could have this very robust kind of intellectual side to it um was was just wonderful. Uh really, really wonderful.
0: Interesting. So yeah, here's what I here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that you uh kind of had you've had a number of experiences that gave you sort of different facets of the diamond, if you will. Right. Absolutely. So having the sort of social gospel growing up, finding a personal relationship and that sort of charismatic intimacy with God, you know, getting a little older. Was that, was that, that wasn't in college. Was that like in high school or yep, high was school? That? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh kind of getting to the intellectual part of it, CS Lewis and Francis Schaeffer, which friends, if you haven't read, either of those guys, but I don't think a lot of people know about Francis Schaeffer anymore, but they should, right? Like they should, you should be reading the guy <laughs> who was there and there's, there's a few others. Uh, anyway, I'll put those links in the, in the show notes, but that's, uh, so that's kind of the academic side. So I really interesting to trace your formation through all those things. And I can see some of that coming out in agents of flourishing as well. Right.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I feel very grateful for this kind of eclectic background, you know, that I've had and, um, as an adult, you know, my life has largely been spent in reformed churches. So certainly the whole Kyperian emphasis of, you know, every square inch belongs to King Jesus and, and the gospel is big. And the gospel not only transforms individuals, but God is at work to be to transform all things. And that includes communities and institutions and people groups. Um, and so that's been uh, very formative as well. And you certainly hear echoes of that uh, in the Agents of Flourishing book.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's part of what I, I really was kind of drawn to is this idea that we, the gospel goes everywhere, right? It transforms everything. I just absolutely, oh, yes, yeah, that's the kingdom of God, right? I love it. Um, which I I haven't had a chance to really check it out, but I think you wrote another book. Um, that was about that. Yes. Yeah. That right?
1: So my, my book grossed before agents of flourishing is a book called kingdom calling. Uh, and the subtitle is vocational stewardship for the common good. And by vocational stewardship, what I mean is, um, the strategic and intentional deployment of all the different dimensions of your mm. vocational power. So your position, your knowledge, your skills, your, your networks, et cetera. Um, in other words, how you can be in your daily callings, um, how you can um, bring foretastes of the kingdom of God. So foretastes of justice and beauty and wholeness and reconciliation, yes. and abundance and life and dignity, um, justice uh, in the in the daily work that you do, whatever your profession uh, is, whether it's, you know, you're a carpenter or you're a computer scientist.
0: Yeah, I think that's what Jesus was so good at, right? Is bringing all those things into any conversation that that he had, um, and that's what made him so fascinating. And the good news is, or part of it is that we get to participate, right? We get to we get to join in. That is the is the invitation. Okay, so you start studying. You're reading about the Christian worldview. You're kind of adopting that, and and kind of getting grounded in it where'd you go next what kind of was the next, uh, season of your. Yeah. It's uh, another,
1: it's another strain of that eclectic background for which I'm so grateful. Um, my first sort of real job out of college was working for two years in Washington, D.C. at a think tank, uh, that was really just a one man show. Uh, so George Weigel is a, um, brilliant, um, Catholic scholar and he had uh launched a small initiative called the James Madison Foundation and just was looking for kind of a right-hand assistant uh so the range of things I did was very 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 wide um but that was like working for George for those two years was like going to grad school before grad school um this is where I became knowledgeable about Catholic social teaching um the just war Um, you know, idea um, and other um, forms of, you know, really rich Catholic reflection on, in a sense, the church in the public square uh, and the church in the world. Um, And that was really, really uh, rich as well. After I had worked for a couple of years for George, I then came to Charlottesville, Virginia uh, to get an MA, PhD uh, at the University of Virginia. And I did that from 89 to 94. And after I finished, I ended up staying here in Charlottesville. And I am still here uh, now in 2023. Go, go Virginia Wahoos. I'm a big UV <laughs> men's basketball fan.
0: There you go. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh basketball well anyway i'm a baseball guy so uh, i could give you my whole rundown of like the sound differences but it's just not important so um very cool well that's good so, so you still so you ended up like you graduated from there and then you just ended up teaching you, you stayed
1: uh did did graduate work and while i was doing graduate work i had the opportunity to edit a magazine uh with an, another uh scholar for whom i just felt like being around him was like Soaking up massive amounts of wisdom. Uh, his name mm-hmm. is Ken Myers. He runs an amazing radio, uh, sort of audio. It's not really a podcast. I guess it's sort of a podcast type thing, but he was doing it way before the word podcast was invented, called myers yeah, yeah. Audio. More of an uh, audio magazine, I guess you would, you'd you call it. So anyway, worked with him on a magazine and then um, was able to get a grant to do a couple of, uh, uh, to work on a couple of books, uh, and eventually ended up on staff at, at uh, the church that I was attending, Trinity Presbyterian, to become their director of urban ministries, uh, where we started um, mm. a, a partnership, um, nonprofit ministry called Charlottesville Abundant Life. And I ran that ministry for several years, uh, and then basically came on board doing the stuff that I've been doing at Sagamore, and I've been uh, working uh, in the in sort of the Sagamore world for over twenty years now.
0: Oh, amazing! I love that. Okay, so let me ask you. I mean, we got a little bit of your kind of background there. Uh, one question I always like to ask because I think it's it's important um, is not every season of learning and growth is good, right? So sometimes we have dark nights of the soul. Sometimes we have seasons when God seems like he's far away. Have you had a season like that?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I have, I had two pretty rough times. One was during graduate school. Um, One was around, uh, I guess it was around 2004. I think it was a couple of uh, hard, difficult times um, emotionally, uh, basically dealing with some childhood trauma issues. Um, and those were very, very hard seasons. Um, but I was blessed with um, you know, some good counselors and uh, you know, supportive mm-hmm. friends. Um, so those were those were some hard times. And then yeah. um, the other kind of thorn that I've had to deal with was I was in a very serious car accident quite a long time ago. And I've lived with chronic pain uh, since then. And, uh, that was in 1983. And then I was in a, and then I got hit by a drunk driver in a car accident, um, in 1994, I think it was, can't quite remember. Anyway, yeah. between those two car accidents, I've got some, uh, some rough situations, uh, in my, in my body, uh, which as a tomboy, it's very disappointing. I, I'm not able to play sports the way that I that I used to do. Um, And then in 2011, I got bit by a tick and I contracted Lyme disease, but I didn't really know it. Um, And uh, that led to a very long journey that is um, in some ways not quite over yet. So my physical health has been my big challenge.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So In all of that, you know, not being able to be the sports, you know, person that you'd like to be and all that, where do you, where's, where do you experience God or what do you, what's the, where's that, you know, connection with God and what have you learned about him through all of it?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, um, I don't know for sure why God hasn't healed me. Uh, I've certainly had a million people pray for me and I have asked, over the years for healing. And I don't presume to know God's purposes, but I do know that um, for much of my adult life, uh, I really struggled with workaholism. Um, And frankly, some of my physical limitations just put certain limits on on how much I physically can work. Uh, And so, even though it was like sometimes trying to be a workaholic, it's like I literally couldn't be, you know. And and I do think that that's been um, a part of his purpose. Uh, I think I uh-huh. I would say now that I'm a recovering workaholic, um, and so that's one thing. I think another thing that's related. I could re- I can remember a time in the first uh, in the early years of the Lyme disease. I had been given a gift of a little devotional, uh, booklet and, um, I had just like immediately just put it on the shelf and in a very arrogant manner, I'd sort of been like, well, I don't just read like, you know, little three inch devotional books, you know, I, I read N.T. Wright, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I I read, I read, you know, meaty, meaty stuff, um, But literally, I'm laying in my bed. Um, It's the middle of the day and I I can do nothing. I mean, I'm just sick and in bed and I have no energy. And um, I end up pulling that little book, little book and just sort of randomly opening it. And it was one of these deals where it's just like a little scripture with a little half page, you know, meditation on it. But the little meditation was basically along, you know, the, the statement was something along the lines of, you know, God is just as delighted with me when I'm laying down as when I'm, you know, up and busy or something like that. And I just remember laying there and just laughing and saying to the Lord, you are so good. And I am so proud. And I thought there was nothing, you know, that you had to say to me you know, through a little devotional booklet like that. And yet that's exactly, precisely the message I need to hear. Because I am laying in bed as a recovering workaholic, feeling really guilty about being in the bed at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning and feeling really useless and feeling like I'm not contributing Mm -hmm. anything. And, um, And here's this sweet truth. Uh, of the Lord's delight in me, whether I'm working or I'm resting. And it was just exactly what I needed to hear. And that was a pretty profound spiritual moment for me.
0: I love that. So powerful. Friends, what if you're valuable, even if you're not doing anything, right? Even if you're not accomplishing something, I'm convinced that productivity is an American idol. Oh, it's totally an
1: American idol. And in my own sort of recuperation from, workaholism, I've really had to shift my thinking from the frame of productivity to the frame of fruitfulness. Um, mm. That's been really, really important. And Ooh. even now, as I continue, I, I'm still not yet working uh, 100% full time. I'm just not able to. I'm yeah. at about 70% time right now. And uh Oh uh, shoot, I lost my, my train of thought there. We were talking about um pro- oh, so you the fruit were... the fruitfulness. The thing about fruitfulness that's so it it just immediately puts you back into those agricultural metaphors. And I heard some great teaching on this from my friend Laura McDaniel, where she was talking about, you know, the the course of a vineyard and there's harvest time and there's like all this you know you go to the vineyard and it's just bursting with life and color and greenery and the big fat you know red grapes and um it's just there's just so much life there and vitality and then the harvest is done and then sort of the next season it's like the pendulum switch kind of swings all the way back over and if you were to go back to that same vineyard All of a sudden, there's such barrenness because the vine dresser will have pruned things way, 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 way down. There's no green, Um, you know. There's no and and now what's happening is there's really important stuff that's happening, but it's happening under the soil and you can't see it. So there's this fallowness and this resting that's happening, and on the part of the vine and the branches and, and, but, but the vine dresser is at, at, at work. And that's just been another hugely important image for me to realize. That's really what life is about. There's these seasons of more fallowness uh and then there's seasons of more harvest and they kind of, they ebb and flow. And, yes. and, and I've got to trust that, you know, God is at work when I'm resting and when I'm working. (laughs) God is at work when I'm sick and when I'm well. Um, God is at work.
0: Is that a part of flourishing? Is is allowing that to be the case?
1: I think so. I think so because, um, you know, flourishing does involve resting uh, in order to thrive and flourish. God has just built us so that we need that rest. Um, And one of the interesting things, I think, about the biblical conception of flourishing is that it is not contingent on circumstances. And so we have Mm -hmm. a picture, you know, in scripture of the, you know, the the tree whose leaves are evergreen, regardless of the season. Um, So that means that you can be in circumstances that are very difficult and at the same time you can say i am flourishing you can wow. even be you can even be called by god into doing hard things that 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 are not particularly pleasant um and yet you can be flourishing in the midst of those uh, those circumstances and and settings and in fact god even says that sometimes it's sometimes the way that we're flourishing is we're walking this cruciform life where we're dying, and yet at the same time that we're dying, somehow we're flourishing, because life is being sown in us, and even greater life is going to be coming. So this this is a very you know that's part of what makes the Christian understanding about flourishing very distinct from secular notions, right? Of flourishing, where like you know you couldn't say to a secular person. Well, no, I'm not particularly happy and my circumstances are not that particularly, you know, pleasant and wonderful, but I'm still flourishing. Like, that wouldn't make sense.
0: Yeah, you're right, because I think the American sort of self-help guru definition of flourishing is everything is good, right? Right. We, you've, I've seen this thing on TikTok lately. That's uh, I don't know that I completely understand it. So I'll just give a disclaimer. But I forget what it's called. Lucky girl syndrome or something like that, right? Like everything's fine for me. Everything's good. Like there's this whole this whole idea, and we think that that is what it means to to flourish. It sounds like you're saying flourishing is actually comes from a deeper understanding, maybe of identity, maybe of trust in God. There's some some components of that.
1: Absolutely, because ultimately, flourishing is living as a genuine human being, and living uh-huh. as a genuine human being means that you're living a dependent uh, and interdependent lifestyle. So you're uh, a truly flourishing human being is living a life in which there's this recognition, I am dependent, and I am daily feeding on the bread of life, which is Christ. Um, And I will flourish uh, in the midst of the contingencies that have been placed into my life where I'm in relationships with all these other people. And sometimes they're very pleasant and other times they're difficult. Um, But to flourish as a genuine human being, I have to be in those those relationships and in that community, whether it's good, bad and ugly, right? So yeah, it is, it's a deeper, it's a deeper thing than, than the secular views.
0: That's a hundred percent the kingdom of God view, right? We see Jesus do this all the time where even when his circumstances were great, he's sitting in front of Pilate, right? (laughs) And he he knows what's about to happen and he knows what Pilate's decision will be, but he, he, even then, then he goes, you wouldn't have any authority if it wasn't given to you right? Like it's, he still keeps the truth in mind, uh, regardless of the circumstance that he knew he was going to endure. And I think we can do that as well. Friends. I haven't said this on this show for a long time. Uh, but I think it's a great place to say it. It's okay to be wherever you are, right? Whether it's a time of, you know, abundance or a time of, you know, struggle or a time when God seems far away or a time when he seems really, really close. Uh, the circumstances don't dictate what is actually true, and so you can be there. You can appreciate. You can take what God's bringing you through it, um, just like Amy, you did with with your health issues, and go through that, walk through that, and trust. Come out on the other side, still trusting, maybe even even more. Really important aspect of the journey. That's that's exactly what I was I was hoping we we talk about today. So thanks, Amy. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, I love it. Okay. I want to talk about this idea of, of Shalom as well. Cause I, I think we have this, I, this, we have a sort of, I don't know, a cursory understanding of what sh- Shalom is. Right. Yeah. But it's really this important, deep, amazing idea in scripture. And so can, can you just unpack that for us a little bit and then help us understand <laughs> well, how so we can I bring do, it?
1: I do use Shalom and flourishing fairly interchangeably. Um, of okay. course, the original Hebrew is this word that we translate in English as peace. Um, But it's so much more than that, because often in our English understanding of peace, we're thinking sort of absence of of conflict. Um, And shalom is such a deeper, richer, more holistic and relational um, idea. I like how uh, my friend Brian Pickert. Uh, and Steve Corbett, uh, they have a book called When Helping Hurts, and they talk about uh, shalom as the idea of peace or spiritual intimacy with God, peace with self, so psychological wholeness and wellness, peace with others, so social health and, and harmony, um, and peace with the with the created order itself. Um, And what we see in scripture is that shalom is really God's normative intention for the world. So God creates a world of shalom, a a world where all of those four dimensions, those four foundational relationships of God, self, others, and the human relationship to creation uh, are whole and harmonious and, and intimate and beautiful uh, and this world that God has created is marked by justice and by abundance. You know, the language there is, you know, everything is teeming uh, and there's just all you know this life and everything's teeming with life. And it's a place of great beauty and a great place of great potentiality. This garden that that Adam and Eve will get to cultivate and bring up new uh, forms of things based on the raw materials that God has has provided. So Shalom really means the world as God wants it to be, this this God infused world of intimate of his intimate presence with us uh, where we are laboring uh, with him in in delightful labor that is free from futility and uh, free from frustrations, Um, but then, of course, you know, it gets lost, right? We get exiled from that world of Shalom through our own human sin. Uh, but the biblical story says, well, God's going to get this all back on track. And you have this long, 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 you know, period of history, thousands of years, um, culminating in, in Jesus, uh, coming to earth. Uh, to be the shalom maker and the shalom remaker uh be the prince of peace the prince of shalom uh coming to say there's a way out of this exile there's a way back into intimate relationship with god it's called the kingdom of god and i am the door i am the gate uh into that um and i'm going to even break some of that some of those shalom uh realities some of those kingdom realities into this time and space which are really what his miracles are all about they're not just demonstrations of his power or divinity they're not just individual anecdotes of mercy although they are all those things fundamentally they are signs and demonstrations of the reality that the kingdom of god is now Um, and that means that more shalom is in the world now than was in the world before Jesus. Um, and more is coming in the future because all of redemptive history is going toward the time when Jesus will return, truly make all things new, and we will live forever in a new heaven and new earth, marked again by perfect shalom. So shalom is just it's the Bible story, right? It's shalom from yeah. Genesis to Revelation.
0: So it's so powerful. It's such that whole big story. Once you get it, and to be honest, I had to go to Bible college to get it right. Like I didn't get it in my local church, maybe not through any fault of you know their own. Like it just wasn't the topic we talked about. But man, it really is powerful, and it's a it's a very different set of good news. I think right. It's less um, avoid hell. It's more in an invitation to jump into what God wants and, and what he intended all of us for in this relationship with him forever life with God. That's why I love Scott book with like, it's just like one of my all time favorites because, and I recommend it to everybody because uh, he tells you how that, how, how that works, you know? Um, very interesting. I love that about Shalom and I, it's, it's also way less uh, I guess I said this, but way less fearsome, right. Than the uh, sort of uh, Turner Burn. Or right. get left behind, kind of stuff that I got, that I got taught as a kid. Uh, but, uh anyway, so that's that's powerful. I love that. I love the kingdom, you know, sort of idea. Um, Very good. Well, I I could probably talk. We can talk about this for a long time. What's something that our listeners could take away and maybe apply to their everyday life with? with Flourishing in Shalom and maybe their context, wherever they happen to be, obviously that's can be broad, but yeah, yeah. What what was something you'd recommend that they press into?
1: Well, I think for some people listening, um, you know, maybe the message that you need to hear is that God desires your flourishing. You know, God loves you. And God really does intend your flourishing. And maybe right now you are in hard and painful circumstances or in dark times. Um, And it's just good for you to be reminded God is for you. And God intends to remake the world and to remake you. And his intentions for you are trustworthy and they are good and they are shalom. He intends your flourishing. That's what he wants for you. Um, Some people listening maybe need a word of encouragement uh, because they feel like, well, um, I don't feel like I have a lot of power or influence and I'm not, you know, super wealthy. So I don't, you know, I give a little bit of money away, but I don't have, you know, I can't change the world by making a million dollar gift to, you know, to something You know, the word I would say is, no, (laughs) you are an agent of shalom. You are an agent of flourishing uh, right within your sphere of influence, whether that's a big sphere or a smaller uh, sphere. God has given you particular opportunities. He's given you particular experiences in your background. He's given you particular natural gifts and spiritual gifts. Um, He has provided training of one sort or another uh, in, in your life and um all of those tools equip you uh to be an agent of flourishing um you are able to contribute to your neighbor's flourishing it may only uh, it may only be a little foretaste um of the kingdom that you can offer them um but uh but but you have that you have what you need because Ephesians 2:10 says that god that Mm -hmm. you are his workmanship you are his poema you are his poem you are his beautiful handcrafted person into whom he has put certain gifts and talents and if you will pour those out in in ways that where you're trying to just serve and help others the power of christ will work through you and you will indeed be an agent of flourishing within your sphere
0: amen i love that I use that verse all the time with my podcasters. I run a whole group of Christian podcasters and I sometimes challenge them. Hey, what if this show is the thing God intended for you to do from before the creation of time. And you're going to send your content around the world to encourage people or challenge people or whatever God wants to do with it. How can you not show up for that? Right? You got to show up for that. Show up, do the work and leave the rest to him as I, as I pray always before our shows, but show up and do the work. And it's a tremendous and beautiful privilege. I love it. Amy, thank you so much for sharing this, sharing some of your work. Um, I'm really encouraged uh, by the the message of the kingdom of God and this idea of flourishing that you brought to us. Is there anything you want to leave us with?
1: Uh, go who's. <laughs>
0: there you go. I love it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for being here. Have a good one.
1: Take care.